Well, greetings, everybody. This is Laurie Handlers, and you're listening to Tantra Cafe, a program for spiritual enlightenment. Om Shanti Shanti Shanti. I greet you in peace, and I'm thrilled to have you. Please write to me at laurie at tantracafe.com or follow me on Facebook or Twitter if you want to get direct messages to me. It's great to have you on board once again. My question for you today is, have you ever felt that you were a victim to your hormones. What do I mean by this? Well, perhaps you were driven by instinct in your search for a partner instead of trying to find someone who you could really love and really share with, really go to the cosmos with in spiritual connection. You were driven by your sex. You were driven by your sex instinct and your sex instinct and whether you had an erection if you were a man, or whether you started getting a little moist if you were a woman, that helped you select your partner, perhaps in the wrong way, maybe just in the way that animals do. So today, my show is going to be about instinct versus true cosmic or tantric connection. But first, I have a wonderful surprise for you. I have... Al Vitaro, and he's going to be speaking to you about his designs. I, I just I couldn't resist having him on as soon as I was able to get in touch with him. He's a world-renowned furniture designer, and he's the founder of Zen by Design, which specializes in unique designs for meditation and da 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 the Kama Sutra. He's had the great honor of creating designs for the Dalai Lama, for Deepak Chopra, for Andrew Wheel and countless meditation practitioners around the world. And his most notable design is, and this, of course, this is why I got in touch with him, his most notable design is the Tantra chair, which is gently, he says, changing the concept of lovemaking in the U.S. and abroad. Al, it is my pleasure to have you, this phenomenal designer, on my show today for this segment. Can you tell us how did you get the idea of the Tantra chair? Thank you for having me, Laurie. I really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, well, that's a really good question. <laughs> but um, in a very short uh, and brief uh, explanation, I uh, was uh, previously a stone sculptor when I was younger and, and, uh, and concentrated mostly on the uh, female form. So this was a very natural, um, as you can see, the shape of it is in the female form. It was a very natural progression for me to move that into, into uh, furniture design. So that's kind of the short, <laughs> short okay. broad answer there. Well, you, um, so first of all, and, and for anybody listening, you can go right away to www.tantrachair.com. If you want to see the most exquisite designed piece of furniture, it's a must-have, and um, there are various video vignettes, very, very tasteful video vignettes on there on how you can use the chair. And so what you're saying is, Al, you dis- the female form was kind of, was it your obsession? No, no, I definitely wouldn't <laughs> say that. It was, it was, <laughs> I think it was very much, uh, very much an appreciation, uh, since I was, um, you know, a little boy, uh, for some reason I have found, uh, not just the female form, but, uh, humanity, the form of, the form of, uh, the human being was, was always very inspiring, uh, divinely inspiring, I should say. Um, 
that's more from where uh, my focus was coming from. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't think we can find anything more elegant than, than the female form, and it just happened to embrace two bodies uh, very, very beautifully. And, and uh, it didn't actually start out that way. It started out uh, in many different forms. Um, and I kept trying to bring it back into the into the female form, but uh, yeah, so it was a pretty arduous uh, three year development process before we actually got it right. But so uh, it took you three years. You've been marketing the chair for the Tantra chair. In case you just tuned in, I'm talking to Al Vitaro, who is the creator designer of the Tantra chair. If you haven't heard of it, please hear of it. It's amazing. So. You, how long has it been on the market? It's been on the market uh, for se a little over seven years now, and uh, in development, uh, you know, uh, three years prior to that, pretty much. So, and we tested on real live uh, couples um, over and over and over again until until we had it uh, perfect for everybody. And uh, now we enjoy a 100% uh, customer satisfaction rating in all that time. And, That's amazing. Uh, yeah. So you can. So the basic premise is that, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't want to tell you where my mind went when you said you tested it on a real life couple. Well, so, real life couples. <laughs> Many so of what them. Did you I mean, you know, did you have like ten designers in there watching two people make love in every possible position that you could imagine? <laughs> no, 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 not at all. We had it. Uh, you know, we would make prototypes and, and give them to friends and and uh, different associates uh, around the United States and and uh, and just welcomed their their feedback uh, and honored it honored it to uh, the highest degree. And and uh, and pretty much, you know, from people that are you know six foot five uh, to four foot five, it, it works beautifully for. So. Yeah, the testing uh, process wasn't uh, very exotic for us personally, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, it was very, very clinical, very technical type of stuff. So, yeah. Wow, it's great. I wish I knew you then. Uh, <laughs> I bet everyone does. When they see this chair, they're gonna, um, you know, people are going to. They're gonna. I I don't know. It's just such a. It's such a draw. It's such a draw, and you. Uh, how did you really find out about Tantra? Because it's, you know, I'll just say I went to the to the Tantra restaurant in Miami Beach once in South Beach, and I asked the man. The man was a dentist, you know, and I said to him, "Well, how did you get the idea of having the restaurant Tantra?" And he said he he didn't know that much about it. He just thought it was sort of a catchy name. How did you, Al, come to this name of Tantra chair for a chair that you know mimics? The ability to make love in different Kama Sutra positions. How did you find out about it? Yeah, well, I have been, uh, I would say, tantric since I was, uh, uh, since I was born, actually. And, and uh, what I mean by that is just that uh, being mindful. You know, I was very mindful about everything, uh, respectful, mindful. And what I noticed uh, growing up um, and throughout my life that when it came to sexuality, there was very little mindfulness. Uh, especially being uh, a young adolescent and, and a young adult, um, very little mindfulness uh, in in my circles of friends, and and uh, and so it just kind of inspired me. I, I pretty much dedicated my life to to developing things that uh, enhance the spirit of humanity, um, 
not that I've accomplished that, <laughs> but I just that's kind of what I dedicated myself to. And, and these manifestations are all part of that. Um, the meditation furniture, the tantric furniture, is all part of the same the same effort in bringing mindfulness and awareness to spirit. And uh, and tantra fits right into that. And, and uh, I'm not a tantric master or anything, but I am very uh, very mindful and and. Uh, very honorable when it comes to to this, and and that was the intent. Uh, the true intent was to bring bring uh, relationships closer, um, more spiritual. Perfect. That's and perfect. That's, it's perfect what you're saying. But listen, I just have to say something to you. Sure. You say that you have, you know, not. You said a few moments ago, well, not that I've accomplished that. Listen, if you've designed a chair for the Dalai Lama or something, I don't know if it was a chair. Sure. If you designed something for the Dalai Lama. Something for Deepak Chopra, something for Andrew Wheel. I, I, that's a pretty good start at having accomplished, you know, having made yeah. a mark on the world. Those are the three people who are very influential. Absolutely, absolutely. And they, and they were pretty much very mindful to begin with. <laughs> so, so that's why I say it probably wasn't, uh, those aren't my greatest accomplishments. They would be more, um, uh, throughout humanity, we've reached a tremendous amount of people um, through the meditation furniture and the uh, Tantra furniture. And the Tantra furniture is by far more popular around the world uh, because it hits a broader uh, perspective uh, than that of the meditation world. But, sure. But, uh, sure. yeah, so, um, well, know, just... Go ahead, Lori. Well, I just want—I want to thank you so much for being able to take a little time to come on the show with me today. I people, who are, everyone out there, you will be hearing more about this. I'm excited to be in touch with Al. And Al, I want to thank you. I know that you have that your time is limited right now, and I also need to welcome Mead Rose to my show to talk about my my other topic. But thank you so very much for shedding some light on how you came to developing this tantra chair. And again. He is Zen by Design. He's the president of Zen by Design, Al Vitaro, and you can find him through tantrachair.com. Al, we'll be speaking again soon. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lori. It was my honor, and, and uh, have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you. Thank Bye. you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you just tuned in, you're listening to Tantra Cafe, a program for spiritual enlightenment. And I'm Laurie Handlers. I'm going to be bringing Mead Rose onto the show as soon as we break. And we're going to be talking about that which drives us instinctually to find a sex partner because we're thinking through our sex and our attraction of hormones and that kind of thing versus what's possible with real Tantra in your in the mix real tantra in your in your practices in your body different ways of being able to find the lover create the lover create the partner so please stay tuned we'll be right back have you ever wished for an end to pests in and around your home around your office stop paying for dangerous chemicals that can harm your children your pets and your clients Today in Arizona and Florida, an environmentally responsible pest control company named Ladybug has set up shop to provide natural and organic pest control services. Ladybug can help you stop even the most persistent, nastiest bugs with green, organic products that are friendly to people and pets. In addition, there are franchise opportunities in Arizona, Florida, and throughout the USA. To learn more about Ladybug's home-friendly and earth-smart green pest control services, visit the Ladybug website at ladybugcorp.com or call us at 561-276-7600. 
Ladybug guarantees you another eco-friendly, pest-free day naturally. Wondering what book you should read to jumpstart your sex life and increase your happiness? Try my book, Sex and Happiness, The Tantric Laws of Intimacy by me, Laurie Handlers. This short, easy-to-read book will make you laugh at yourself and it may possibly make you cry as you discover my tantric secrets for happiness and how they apply to you. In the book, I begin with the tenth law, make love in the unknown. And then I work you all the way through laws one through nine to teach you how to be in the unknown. Fresh, every moment of every day of your life. Sex and happiness puts the innocence and love back into sex and gives tantra the respect it deserves. It's only $19.99 in paperback, and $14.99 ebook. Go to sexandhappiness.com to order your copy of Sex and Happiness by me, Laurie Handlers, the host of Tantra Cafe. Coming back at you, this is Laurie Handlers. You're listening to Tantra Cafe, and I am here today with my guest, Mead Rose. And Mead, I, I, it's my pleasure to have you on the show. I just want to tell people a little bit about you. Mead was born in Wisconsin. He grew up in Hawaii, where he adopted Asian perspectives through Zen, Taoism, and an instructor of Chinese martial arts. He was trained to teach Ipsilut Tantra by Bodhi Afanasha. We have that in common, by the way. And he developed an intimacy workshop for couples called Communication in Touch. Mead makes his living as an internet marketer, which I love about you, Mead. So welcome to the show, and I promised people that we would be talking about the difference between being a victim to instinct and hormones versus what's really possible when you are finding yourself in spiritual practice, spiritual sex practice like Tantra. How does that alter your experience? How does it alter what's possible? Well... That's and, a, oh, by the wait me. And if you want to comment on the Tantra chair, that's okay too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll uh, hold the uh, Tantra chair comments for the time being. Um, the the thing that I notice is, uh, I suppose the line of demarcation would be the difference between falling in love and putting yourself in love. We use the language falling in love to describe the feelings that we have around intimacy with another, as if it's an accident, as if we're not in charge of it. And uh, uh, my experience is that with Tantra, we are actually fully in charge of it. And um, you can regard it as a spiritual discipline. Um, Commonly what... uh, people will do is they'll look for whom they think is the most attractive. Uh, Guys often evaluate on the basis of uh, looks. Uh, Women might uh, evaluate on the basis of security, but what's operating there is uh, basically biological selection, instinct. (laughs) And uh, uh, if instead... You walk down the street and think about all those people that you just passed by that you're not attracted to. And with, if you're a tantric master, a tantrika, then you should possess the capability 
to create the sensations of intimate love with any one of those people that you're not innately attracted to. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Um, yet it sounds like, um, well, it sounds like, yeah, right, easier said than done. I mean, look, I know there are women, probably men too, who, who are more attracted to a man's wallet than they are to a man's biology. And, um, maybe his yeah. and listen, maybe his wallet is tied to his biology, like in the survival of the fittest. Maybe a man who can make the most money is the best attraction in the sense of survival of the fittest, but I don't know about all that. So well, tell, well, tell me more. <laughs> there, there are experts who uh, cover that topic. There's a uh, a book out called Sperm Wars, which uh, talks about how uh, the about a tenth of people walking around on the planet today are not the children of their ostensible fathers. And why that is is because uh, our bodies, uh, w women's bodies in particular, favor impregnation by the bad boy lover rather than the provider. Uh, which doesn't. Oh, I love this. I love that you're saying this. Yeah. I always tell. I always tell nice guys that just <laughs> they should get better and angrier. Not that they should hit anybody, but that women love bad boys. And they actually know what they're getting. Yeah. Well, not only do they know what they're getting. Um, the uh, I won't go in, into it in depth, but if you read the book Sperm Wars, you actually uh, find out that the incidence of orgasm which on a woman's part, which is related, it actually increases the likelihood of impregnation, actually in her, increases when she's with a bad boy lover and lowers with a husband-slash-provider. So um, the, the idea that things are tied to the wallet, uh, the biology is tied to the wallet, is true to a certain extent. It's... Um, if you're trying to grow great crops, you can either sow a lot of seeds or uh, on, on a lot of ground, or you can take uh, good care of the uh, plants that you've got in your garden. So you can be a good gardener or a uh, Johnny Appleseed. Either way, uh, you're going to uh, be creating a lot of progeny. And uh, if we think from a uh, mothering perspective, we want to see those progeny grow. If, we, uh, if we're looking from a, a sort of a fatherly independence perspective, we kind of figure, oh, well, the uh, survival of the fittest comes into play. But either way, it's the biology that's governing the situation. And um, when we have feelings of, quote, falling in love, or he's a good catch, or she's a good catch. That's uh, all stuff related to the biological aspect, not at all related to the spiritual aspect. It's it's all uh, physicality and economics, if you will. Well, I just have to ask you this because I hear you. I actually get the distinction that you're making, and... There's this whole other thing. I mean, it comes up so often on my show. 
I mean, it's been we've it's been in almost every show in one way or another. There's this whole question of religion, which personally I don't consider religion to be spiritual, but there are people who do. I guess religious people think that religion is spiritual anyway. Um, it it really does occur to me that religion, the promulgation of religion, is what runs the family. And the family is designed to have progeny or children to make new members of whatever the religious group is. So, I don't know, can you say anything about that just to distinguish between what you're talking about, about spirituality, spiritual connection versus religion, which is, you know... Ah, okay. So, I mean, that's um, why, that's why there's so much pressure, you know, in the Catholic religion for Catholics to marry Catholics, in the Jewish tradition for Jews to marry Jews, and for, you know, all these pressure for people to want to make their children mate with people of their same. That's oh, what I'm yeah. And, and to me, that's, uh, attempts to control, uh, it, you know, if you prohibit birth control, uh, then uh, in the Catholic religion, then naturally it's going to w- wind up in uh, greater output of uh, Catholics through birth. And that's when you want to catch them as early as possible uh, so that you can program them and then you'll have uh, more uh, devotees in that church. Um, yeah. I happen to think that's more about uh, controlling populations. It's uh, what I would call the politics of religion. Um, uh, and from a religious point of view, that's justifiable in terms of uh, uh, if you can control behaviors, then people are, quote, better. Um, and, uh, you know, so it's self-justifying from a religious perspective. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about um, when I'm talking about spirit. I hold spirit distinct from religion, and I would say that there are a great many people who, although they may adhere to the rituals of a religion, they may not have any experience of spirit. Um, uh, there are many people that claim to be Christian that will take communion every Sunday, but uh, don't uh, have a direct relationship with uh, Master Yeshua ben Joseph, the guy that many people call Jesus, um, you know, there's no direct relationship. There's no similarity of behavior. There are people, <laughs> you know. <laughs> okay, that's good. You made your point. I mean, it's great, 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 yeah, great. So yeah. you're talking about something else. Yes. I, my, the, what I'm talking about in terms of human spirit is um, those intangibles that we value highly. Like when we talk about love, uh, we, we think love is a wonderful thing to have in a relationship. We talk about communication as if that's a wonderful thing to have in a relationship. Um, we talk about, oh, uh, uh, guys that are sensitive as if that's a wonderful thing to have in a relationship. And it all sounds very good in a uh, discussion group, but then when we actually get out in the field amongst the people, we find out, oh, wow, she went for another uh, bad guy that I wouldn't give the time of day because he's a jerk. 
And what did that was biology. Uh, when I became acquainted with this, <clears throat> I was uh, seeing a gal uh, who was another Tantra teacher. I was teaching Tantra with her, and she particularly regarded it as a, as a spiritual discipline matter to make herself fall in love with me. Um, you know, like, what was holding her back? She would have a judgment. I'm overweight. So she's having judgments about my body. So for her, it was a matter of spiritual discipline to discover how to love me. And uh, just because it was in front of her, it was her karmic task of the, of the year or so. Um, All right. Okay, listen, this is really, we're going to pause here for a moment, but I want to... I want to just say how amazing I find this notion of a tantrika woman finding judgment and fault with you, your body, maybe other stuff, which we'll find out when we come back from this uh, pause, and yet considering it her karmic task, her obligation, if people don't know what the karmic task means, it's like it's your... It's your obligation in a, in a connection with spirit to move forward towards that which you might not ordinarily move towards. You might not ordinarily, you might poo-poo, you might turn your nose up at. This is an amazing notion, Reed. Reed, Mead. This is an amazing notion, Mead. And, um, we're going to come right back to this. Uh, when we come back, I want to hear more about this. I want to hear how she did it. I want to hear how you felt as the recipient of this, like somebody actually training themselves to love you. So we'll be right back. This is Tantra Cafe. I'm Laurie Handlers, your host. I'm with Mead Rose, and he's talking about something to me that's so extraordinary. I can't wait to hear the rest. Please stay tuned. I, Laurie Handlers personally invite you to come with me on a tantric tour of the heart of India, November 21st to December 3rd, 2010. You'll see the Taj Mahal, of course, and visit the fabulous Fatipur Sikri, home of the great Mughal king Akbar. You'll experience the sacred lake of Pushkar and the must-see pink city of Jaipur. Then at dawn from a boat on the Ganges in Varanasi, You'll see exquisite Hindu prayer ritual. You'll tour Sarnath, where the Buddha gave his first speech after attaining enlightenment. And then, my favorite, you'll explore the exotic Kama Sutra temples in Kajuraho. Finally, you'll, of course, shop till you drop in the Paraganj Bazaar in New Delhi. Throughout the tour, you'll learn tantric techniques and principles. And I promise you'll feel a tremendous sense of well-being as we delve into these simple yet potent tantric techniques. Please note that no previous experience of tantra or yoga is necessary. I invite you to join me in this unique experience touring the incredible country of India. I must warn you, this is not your typical tour, and you are not your typical tourists. For more information about this exciting tantric tour of the heart of India, contact Lori at butterflyworkshops.com or write to her at 
info at butterflyworkshops.com. If you've just tuned in, you've tuned into Tantra Cafe, a program for spiritual enlightenment. I'm Laurie Handlers, your host. You can always write to me at laurie at tantracafe.com or follow me on Twitter or Facebook. Please don't forget my book, Sex and Happiness, The Tantric Laws of Intimacy. I'm back today talking with Mead Rose about a very unique notion that rather than biology and who you're instinctually, instinctually, it's like a tongue twister, attracted to how you as a tantric master, teacher, practitioner, possibly tantric layperson can train yourself to be in the love with someone you might not be attracted to. So, Meet, how was that for you? How, like, did she talk to you about this? Did, did this partner of yours tell you this is what she was going to do? Oh, yes. Um, and uh, she was both tantric and polyamorous, which means she could fool around with whoever she liked. So my challenge in the whole process, that even though I was her ostensible primary, was to uh, get over my own jealousy uh, if she was hanging around other men. So I had my own challenge in the picture. But uh, even so, even after being with her for 10 months was about the extent of our relationship, um, what I came away with was a notion, uh, a much broader notion of who I could be attracted to. I went for practically a decade with such a narrow definition of miswrite that uh, effectively I excluded myself from any relationships. And after my relationship with her, I achieved a sort of understanding is, uh, you know, those, uh, you know, that numbers game of uh, one through ten that people assign on the basis of looks. Well, I think there's only zeros and ones. Zeros is they're not good enough for me, and ones is they are good enough for me. And those are the only two numbers I need to deal with. And Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did you, does this, this doesn't mean that you lowered your standards? No. I, I, what I did is I broadened my standards. I also um, realized the same, something, uh, they pointed it out in that movie, A Beautiful Mind, with Russell Crowe. Yeah. Uh, there's a scene in the bar where one of the guys suggests when a statuesque blonde walks into the room that they all go for her and see who gets her. And Russell Crowe's character says, well, no, we'll actually all lose that way. Here's how we'll win. Each one of us, every one of us needs to ignore the statuesque blonde and go for the mousy brunettes who are sitting in the corners. They will respect us, the, and the only one who will go home alone is the statuesque blonde. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and, All right. And, um... <laughs> I mean, that's a good point. But right. I, was just saying, I mean, when you're not, it's like, you're not giving me enough information. Like, okay. Okay. She, I happen to know who she is. She, yeah. We don't have to say, but she was both a tantric teacher and polyamorous. Yes. She put herself on a course of training herself to love you. You put yourself on a course 
to deal with jealousy. And yeah. see, I'm saying, what about the fact that you knew that she was training herself to love you? I mean, how did that feel to you? I, I can't. Only, I can only imagine that some guys wouldn't like that. Well, there was a wave of that. But, you see, there was, there was about uh, a month when I was dealing with the whole issue of can I accept her as she is and can I, along with that, accept the basis on which she is accepting me. It took about a month to come to terms with that. And when I did come to terms with that and like, okay, I'm going to settle into this. It's a good thing. Uh, once I achieved that, then I had some really amazing healing. Like, this woman is not only accepting me the way I am, but in spite of her predetermined notions of what she thinks attractive, she's going more than the distance for the sake of my of healing my heart, uh, healing my sexual wounding. She is, she, it, the generosity on her part was stunning to me. It was life-altering. Once I and got you my were not, you, this, is, this was like a relationship. You were not paying her as a tantric. Oh, no, 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 not at all. You were, you were, you were relating, like, were you living together? Uh, no, I, I lived an hour away, but I'd be spending like three nights a week over at her place. Okay. Yeah. And you came to, now how did you come to terms with it? Like, give me an idea of what went on in your head. What did you say to yourself? How did you make yourself go, this is a good thing? Um, well, the first thing I had to do was let go of the idea that, quote, being in relationship amounts to some sort of deal that's automatic. If something's not negotiated, then you know what? It's not part of the deal. You got to talk about it and reach an agreement. A lot of people don't do that though. A lot of people have a checklist in their head of what a relationship automatically means and they don't talk about it. Instead, they assume when they get in a relationship that things are going to be a certain way. So, what we did is we talked about it, and I had a certain right to expect thing, certain things, and I didn't have a right to expect others. Um, and I suppose I, the term I'd give is open-hearted loving. Like when you can't expect something specific in return, like what you, like the way your mother loved you. Let's say you had this feeling when you're, when you were a kid, when your mother picked you up and hugged you. And that's what you go into relationship for. And then you discover your partner isn't up for doing that for you. They are willing to be completely generous on something else, but as far as that uh, completely fulfilling sensation of mother love, there's no right to expect it. That's actually, in my way of looking at things, a form of emancipation from one's emotional history. It's a, a form of evolution. And I would say the relationship I w was in was remarkable for that reason, is I became largely emanci emancipated from the emotional drama of my childhood. There are people who get married on the basis of their emotional drama of, of their childhood and then find out a few
few years later that, that it's basically bankrupt. I'm I'm glad I discovered it was bankrupt before I entered into a marriage. Well, I have to tell you that I met you during that time. I mean, I, that's right around when we met. You were in that. You were relating in that relationship when I met you. Yes. And you were you were incredibly happy, and yes. uh, and you were you were emanating attractiveness. Huh. Well, thank you. Well, only an outsider could tell you that. I mean, you know, you could notice that you were looking good or whatever, but you were yeah. feeling good, and you you were an attractor. You yeah. know, and that I mean, that's how I remember you. I mean, I don't know how other people remember you or what they think, but. I thought, wow, I like this guy. He's so great, so great, so full. He's so giving. Now, can you tell me? No, so those are the things that I noticed. Can you tell me if that, if if those are some of the demarcations of change that happened to you as you were learning this different, unexpected lesson? Um. Well, I'd say. Part of it was that I found out that the deal that I had set up emotionally in my own heart and mind uh, was very limited in relation to what was actually available. So by a combination of letting go of my expectations, accepting what I got as is, and remaining open, I became much fuller than if I had certain expectations met. So, you know, it's, there wasn't any debt in my soul, any empty spot to be filled. So I wasn't going around in a needy state. I was going around in an open, accepting state. And that's, uh, to me, that's a description of uh, a form of uh, spiritual enlightenment. Uh, you know there are there are depths of it. Uh, I'm sure certain yogis have been on such a path for 50 years, and they have greater depth than I certainly. But uh, what this enabled me was, in the course of tantric relationship, to achieve that kind of openness and fullness uh, that people imagine would be the end goal. But I would. What I had to do was let go of my concept of what that would be um, and simply be open and allow myself to be full. Well, what you're describing it sounds like really an amazing, amazing task. How, um, I mean, imagine, I imagine people would hear this and they would think, but what if I just wasn't attracted to the person? How did she do it? I mean, how did she... Obviously, you said she was polyamorous. That means that she could be with more than you. Yeah. She could be with more lovers than you. Um, but she had to come back and be with you. Who right. she wasn't three nights a week. Who she wasn't necessarily attracted to. What, right. I mean, are you, what did she say to herself? How did she make herself do that? Well, I think what she was doing was getting over... Uh, objections to my body since I'm overweight and that's not her ideal. She tends to like uh, taller, blonde, curly-haired guys and she's actually open to uh, quite a, a few men but there there was a what I would say was 
I also learned what part of me serves to fulfill for a woman because there's there's a place I relate to, which is um, I with quite with most of the women I've been with, I'm able to reach a place where I touch their innermost heart and um, the 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 parts they might object to um, kind of pale by comparison to the fact that I'm able to touch the innermost heart. And um, that's part of the same process of being open and not letting my expectations govern everything because a woman's not going to open up and reveal her innermost heart unless she feels safe. And that feeling of safety is, I realized I have... I have more than than a guy in the diner on the thing about producing a sense of safety for a woman. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So, that, thank you for that old Werner Earhart expression. I yeah. in a diner about it. And the truth <laughs> is that I know that you do. I know that for yeah. a fact. There have been times in recent times that I've seen you, been somewhere with you, and I've felt safer than I've felt um ever so i know that you have that i just uh we're gonna we're gonna stop here for a moment i am talking with mead rose who is an amazing person he uh he learned about asian perspectives growing up in hawaii uh even though he was born stateside in wisconsin he does a course called communication in touch for couples and he's basically an internet marketer, and he's very, very brilliant. We are talking today about instinct versus uh, what you can train yourself to do, how you can really love in a whole new way and see someone for who they really are in, in Tantra. And that's when we come back, we're going to get some more about this. I'm, I have some more questions to ask Meet about his partner, and then how, how, how it carried out. So please stay tuned. We'll be right back. This is Laurie Handlers for Tantra Cafe. Many times on Tantra Cafe, you've heard my guests and me discuss emotional release techniques. Now you can do emotional release work in the privacy of your own home. In my CD, Shamanic Release in Lati Han, I create a very, very safe and sacred space in which you can do the powerful work I'm known for in my Tantra courses. First, I set you up with the proper positioning and breathing, and then I guide you through emotional states to the beat of tribal African rhythms. Try the CD as an easy way to do your personal clearing work on a regular basis and watch your relationships walk free from emotional baggage. You can order my CD at butterflyworkshops.com for only $20. I believe you're worth it. I hope you do. Go to butterflyworkshops.com and get your copy now and walk free from emotional baggage. We're back. This is Tantra Cafe, a program for spiritual enlightenment. I wanted to let you know that you could find out about how practitioners and educators in the world of Tantra People who are sex educators throughout the world are coming together through the International School of Temple Arts, 
which was founded by Baba Des Nichols. You can primarily get in touch with the School of Temple Arts through www.schooloftemplearts.com. You'll find out how to get connected. You'll find out how the network is expanding throughout cultures, across mores, histories, and across continents. It's very exciting stuff. We're all uniting to bring some more pleasure and healing of shame and blame and guilt. All that bad stuff, we're, we're, we're uniting to eradicate that from our worlds. Go to tem- schooloftemplearts.com. Okay, Mead, we're back, and we're, you and I are talking about this. It's fascinating, actually, because what you're talking about means that people who study Tantra can actually train themselves to look beyond everything and actually see the divine in each person, which is what we say we do. We say we see people for who they really are. We love people for who they really are. So this gives hope to people who are disabled. This gives hope to people who are who don't feel like they got given a proper hand. You know, they got dealt a bad hand when it came to being given out in the looks department or... Yeah. You know, all the pla- all the superficial, shallow things that drive Madison Avenue, advertising, magazines, television, Hollywood, all of it. Except in the case of, you know, a few, you know, I think of actors who slip by like Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like people who really weren't, Phyllis Diller, people who weren't attractive somehow got through, but there are these other, there, we're talking about the masses of people who would not you know, make it, maybe at all, some people who have so much insecurities. You're saying that through tantric practice, people can actually train themselves to really love, give and receive physical love. Yes. From people that they're not really instinctually attracted to. Right. So um, uh, there there are a couple of things I I say with regard to that. one of them is um, that uh, the shallow end of the pool for tantricas is the deep end of the pool for everybody else. Um, emotions that you, uh, well, not you, but that someone might go, oh, my goodness, I've never felt this way before. I'm going to have to make babies with this person and spend the rest of my life with them. Uh, they're kind of the once-in-a-lifetime feelings are the feelings that Tantrika had last weekend. <laughs> right. And uh, so the, the, the basis, the standard of comparison, is shifted. Uh, it's, it's the way I said when I uh, attended Baba Dez's uh, uh, convention for the first time was, oh, my goodness, the... Uh, the left side of the road really extended a lot, so now the middle of the road has shifted considerably. <laughs> My idea of uh, what to expect of people was uh, uh, amazingly altered because what happens in, in modern society is we uh, walk down the street and every once in a while we notice a sexy person. But you know what? All those people are sexy. 
Although, you know, on a 1 to 10 scale, people average out to a 5. What about those 2s and 3s? What if you can see the divine sexual being in those 1s and 2s and 3s as well as those 8s and 9s and 10s? That doesn't mean you have to go and be in relationship with every one of them. But you can validate a person with a loving glance as you walk through life. You know, yeah, I forget, there was something around the 70s where, you know, uh, smile at someone, it's infectious or something like that, you know. Where you, you brighten someone's day by smiling at them. Well, you can, you can make a difference in the life of everyone you meet by validating them as both a loving and sexual being. And some people will say, oh, no, 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 I'm just about the love. And I'm here to tell you, no, you're being stingy if you're withholding half of the heart sex circuit. Um, you know, it's, it's a two-way circuit. Men's hearts are yin, and their sexual organs are yang, and women's sexual organs are yin, and their hearts are yang. It forms a circuit. You, so, have, to, you have to explain that. I need you to explain that. When okay. you, say yin, you say yang, I need a little more detail, because not everybody knows what you're talking about. Okay. In the original Chinese way of looking at things, yang is that which the sun shines upon. Yin is more like concavity, has the capacity to contain water. It's what's in shadow. Well, you notice men have an outie at their sex organs. Women have an innie. Uh, women have an outie at their chest. And right. men have an innie. It forms a natural energetic circuit. And we ide idealize it as wanting to be in love when we're having sex. It's a complete circuit when both the heart and sex are engaged. You can tell it's incomplete, like, you know, an A-frame hug. Two people hug each other, and all they're doing is they're pressing their chests together. That's an A-frame hug. It's saying, you have my heart, but um, you don't get to experience any of my sexual juiciness. That actually inhibits the ability of the hearts to connect as well. It's a, uh, I don't know, it's sort of like uh, having... Uh, you know, a, it's sort of like a virgin reality, and I I think it's inflicted on us by uh, by uh, people who uh, insist on a certain moral code, which I think is kind of bankrupt. Uh, there are plenty of divorces out there. There are plenty of single moms that thought they were doing the right thing uh, when they got married to the guy they thought was the good catch. Um, you know, I I think the systems that worked in they might not have worked in previous uh, millennia, but they created more Catholics or Jews or whatever religion you want um, if you're going to religion for the moral codes. Um. Well, well, I'm, I, you know, I am, I'm really, I'm starting to understand this. I mean, I really am. I, I understand it from a Tantra teacher perspective. I understand how people really can see who's in there and love them. And yet I've noticed that uh, often people can't get over this, you know, this total addiction to a certain image. And I think it's so great that you, what you've shared with me here 
about your own expansion based on somebody loving you, truly, truly. Now, uh, it's unfortunate it didn't last, and I'm not sure why that happened. We only have a few moments here, but can you give us a sort of... It, it kind of sounds say, like it doesn't matter. It sounds like you got the gift. Yeah, uh, two things. Um, the uh, ostensible breakup happened around accountability. In other words, um, could we give and keep our word with one another? Okay. There was a breakdown around that. I'm not going to level any accusations. Just say there was a breakdown. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, uh, nevertheless, we, we're still friends. We still work together. But um, I don't invest my, uh, my heart and my sexuality in a relationship that does not have some degree of accountability. I'm talking not whether or not you fool around with somebody else, but whether, uh, oh, specific issue. Um, she was uh, coming home, expected to be home in half an hour. I, um, I, uh, I w was sat up waiting for her and found out she wasn't there after uh, three days. Uh, and uh, the worst part was she said she was feeling sleepy and hoped she didn't run off the road. So I was seriously concerned about her well-being, and uh, I had a real tough time that, with the fact that she made me worry she could have solved it all with a phone call saying, hey, you know what, I'm going to make a turn, go up to Harbin, see ya. She could have said that, but she didn't. And okay, so I was well, left up. I can, yeah. listen, integrity, we, we're going to, you know what, you and I will have to do a show on integrity sometime because that's a whole nother hot button button yeah. and, and how integrity applies to Tantra and Tantrikas. I want to thank you. I really, I, I think that you shed some brilliant light on the subject today on the difference between instinctual uh, connection and attraction versus what's possible, how to actually love who really is there or love everyone. Uh, and train oneself to love everyone and give in a real generosity and a real amazing way. It opens up a door for a whole bunch of people that I, I think haven't been considered before me. So I really want to thank you. How should people get in touch with you quickly? Give us a way that people can contact you for your course. How can people do that? Your course um, is um, Communication well. in Touch. Uh, communication and touch, um, probably, uh, there's a contact form on my website, meadrose.com, that's M-E-A-D-R-O-S-E.com. There's also a contact form on my uh, main business site, which I check more often, which is toplocaltalent.com. Uh, you write me, there's an opportunity for a subject right in there. I okay. do respond very frequently. Okay, great. Again, I was talking today with Mead Rose about instinct versus really loving someone. Join me next week on Tantra Cafe when I have another leading expert in Tantra and relating. Uh, please join me. See you then. Namaste from Tantra Cafe.